0: All right, podcast family, here's a clinical question for you. You have a patient who presents with postmenopausal bleeding and you ordered a traditional transvaginal ultrasound. You find that the endometrial stripe is less than 4 millimeters. That's good, right? So here's your question. What do you do next? Well, the right answer is, well, what kind of patient is she and what is her characteristics? Because this whole issue of four millimeters thickness has been so drilled into us that it can actually give us a false sense of security. In ACOG's practice bulletin on endometrial cancer, which is practice bulletin number 149 from April of 2015, it states very clearly, quote, endometrial thickness of greater than 4 millimeters in a patient with postmenopausal bleeding should trigger alternative evaluations such as sonohysterography, office hysteroscopy, or endometrial biopsy, as should an inability to adequately visualize thickness, end quote. It's that second part of that statement, the inability to adequately visualized thickness that often gets lost because some patients have a harder time determining that endometrial thickness based on ultrasound, specifically African-American patients. Why? Well, first of all, because they have a higher prevalence of fibroids, and second of all, they have a higher chance of having focal lesions rather than global endometrial hypertrophy that can miss the diagnosis of abnormal endometrial pathology. In this episode, we're going to review one of the current ABOG maintenance of certification articles from February's first list of distribution. This article is out of JAMA Oncology, and it actually qualifies for the credit under health equity and patient safety. We need one of those for the MOC cycle and this is the one that we're reviewing. This is out, again, of JAMA Oncology, and it takes a look at the ability of transvaginal ultrasound to adequately predict endometrial cancer, or real endometrial pathology, in patients that are African American. And why are we looking specifically at them? Well, it's easy. They have a higher rate of fibroids where that endometrial lining could be distorted. And what they found is actually pretty heartbreaking and pretty surprising. Other studies are also calling into question this whole non-invasive approach of using transvaginal ultrasound as a primary screening tool for endometrial thickness because it does miss some significant pathology. So let's cover ABOG's maintenance of certification Patient Equity and Patient Safety article on the ability of transvaginal ultrasound to evaluate postmenopausal bleeding in a simulated cohort of black and white women in the U.S. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. As a quick note, because this is one of the MOC articles, whenever you hear this in this episode, you may want to remember this. That may be a clue that it could be on the MOC quiz for this article. Endometrial cancer remains the fourth most common cancer in the U.S., and unfortunately, it's increasing in incidence every year. You may want to remember this. In the U.S., black women with endometrial cancer have a 90% higher five-year mortality after diagnosis compared with white women in the U.S. The magnitude of this racial inequity in survival is larger than that within cervical, cervical, breast or colon cancers and unfortunately that inequity is increasing. And here's another heartbreaking fact that you may want to remember. Black women have a higher likelihood of advanced stage at diagnosis and have a higher prevalence of high-risk endometrial cancers compared to white women. These higher-risk endometrial cancers include the non-endometroid types like the type 2 histologies. We'll cover that in just a minute black women in the U.S. are also diagnosed with more advanced stages of disease independent of insurance coverage and health care access. So don't think, well, it's just because they don't have insurance coverage or they can't see a physician. No. Remember that important statement that black women in the U.S. are diagnosed with more advanced stages of disease independent of insurance coverage and health care access. Now, before we go any deeper into this article, let's just quickly review what ACOG says about this. Remember, we talked about that practice bulletin at the intro. ACOG does recommend one of three strategies in the event that an individual presents with postmenopausal bleeding— the first thing that you can do is an endometrial biopsy. The second is you can take her for uterine dilation and curatage. And the third, which is the non-invasive option, is transvaginal ultrasound to evaluate the endometrial thickness. The cutoff of when to pursue tissue histology traditionally has been set at 4 millimeters. This 4 millimeter cutoff isn't an ACOG thing. I mean, it's all over published guidelines, and there's a lot of studies that validate that. And the reason is, is that using that 4 millimeter cutoff has a 99% to 100% negative predictive value for that strategy. That's really good. However, what we're finding out now is that that's not in all patient types. In this article that we're summarizing, there's something that I totally forgot. I learned years ago, but I forgot that that whole 4 millimeter cutoff, that whole transvaginal ultrasound strategy was really based on large population studies from Scandinavia, Italy and Hong Kong. So the findings of those studies actually may not apply well to U.S. African-American women. Here's something that you may want to remember as well the presence of uterine fibroids can distort the endometrial cavity. This results in poor visualization of the endometrium, and that, of course, is the key component of this TV ultrasound strategy. Non-endometroid cancers can also be focal lesions that are less likely to cause global hypertrophy of the endometrium, and that can be missed on traditional transvaginal ultrasound endometrial stripe measurements. And remember, as we said earlier, African-American women are more likely to have non-endometrioid cancers that are focal compared to Caucasian women. Do you all see the kind of picture we're setting here? Transvaginal ultrasound is a great non-invasive modality. But just because that stripe is 4 millimeters, especially in African-American women, may not mean that they're in the clear. Ah, so this is where this study comes in. Now, this wasn't a true patient study. This was a simulated cohort. and We're going to explain what that means in a minute. Basically, they use databases to kind of pull together fictitious patients to see if ultrasound could catch them. So it's not real living patients. But again, this model has good methodology. And we're going to get into that in a minute. But this is not a true kind of randomized trial or a prospective cohort. This is a simulated cohort. And the authors wanted to compare that ability of that A, Cog recommended threshold of 4 millimeters based on ultrasound endometrial thickness to adequately predict cancer in African American women compared to white women. They constructed this simulated cohort of postmenopausal white and black women who are age 45 years and older and who are all experiencing postmenopausal bleeding. Remember, not real patients, these are a simulated cohort. They defined the parameters of this simulation using the National Cancer Registry data, population-based cohorts of women with postmenopausal bleeding, and you may want to remember this, published transvaginal ultrasound measurements of endometrial thickness among women with and without endometrial cancer from several retrospective cohort studies. This study focused on the two main types of endometrial cancer. In other words, the histological types were traditional type 1, which is the more common type of endometrial cancer called the endometrioid type of malignancy, which is the more low-risk and the indolent variety, and then the more aggressive non-endometrioid types that are also called type 2 endometrial cancers. These are serous, carcinosarcomas, and clear-cell endometrial pathologies. These authors assumed that the two populations being studied, black women and white women, both presented with the same amount of symptoms, which is postmenopausal bleeding, at 90%. So 90% for African American, 90% for white women, that was the assumption of who would present with postmenopausal bleeding. In order to determine the prevalence of fibroids in the cohort, they estimated the proportion of women who had fibroids with black women being assigned 74 percent and white women having 42 percent fibroids. And this data came from the U.S. National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences Uterine Fibroid Study. All right. So, again, they're trying to make this simulated cohorts of African-American and white women trying to figure out who's got fibroids and then trying to piece together if ultrasound was going to be sensitive enough to find true endometrial pathology based on endometrial stripe. In order to figure out the prevalence of endometrial cancer that each cohort would have, they then looked at the frequency of endometrial cancer diagnoses based on those cohorts based on previous published data. Because these authors were looking at the accuracy to capture an abnormal endometrial thickness based on African-American or Caucasian race with or without fibroids, they then had to estimate the endometrial thickness visibility in those two cohorts. And to do that, you may want to remember this, they used two different sets of data. So for African-American women, they used one set of data to predict endometrial visibility. And for Caucasian women, they used another set of data. Again, these were all historical data points that they put together into this one simulated cohort. Now, before we go into the results, man, sometimes you read an article and you're like, man, it would have just been easier to follow actual patients. But it was incredibly difficult to do that with what they did because they didn't just simulate these cohorts, but then they looked at sensitivities, specificities, and positive and negative predictive values, and even the area under the curve for the ROC plots. Those are the receiver operating curves of different cutoffs. In other words, three millimeters, four millimeters, or five millimeters of endometrial thickness and its ability to detect endometrial cancer. And so there's no way to do that on a population level You've got to simulate that Where you can actually control and play with these numbers Or else you'd never get this data So it's very well done But all to say, yeah, not real patients Remember, this is a simulated cohort Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith Co-star of my upcoming film, If. If Only in theaters, May 17th Do you want to tell people the big news? The 4mm cutoff worked better for Caucasian women and not so good for African American women. Among all black women, the ACOG-recommended 4mm cutoff for the threshold of who should get biological tissue sample had a sensitivity of 47.5% for African American women with a positive predictive value of 13.1%. But this was in contrast to the results found in white women, where that 4 millimeter cutoff had a sensitivity of 87.9% and a positive predictive value of 14.6%. I like what the authors did here because they took these differences in sensitivity and specificities between black women and white women, and then they did the receiver operating curves, in other words, the ROC, the area under the curve, for each of those. And that has to do with the ability of that test, of this diagnostic tool, to capture the pool of people affected. All right. So smaller ROC, less pool identified, larger ROC, larger area of the curve. That's more people captured in the net, so to speak. We'll listen to these ROC differences between black women and white women based upon this data analysis sensitivity and specificity in black women had an area under the curve of 0.57, whereas in white women, that area under the curve, the the net, was larger at 0.73. Now, that area under the curve greater than 0.7, it was needed to consider the test a fair performance. In other words, having that endometrial stripe actually work. So in white women, the ROC was 0.73, which is above the 0.7 cutoff. In other words, uh, the ability of ultrasound to adequately detect an endometrial thickness that has real pathology. But in black women, that area under the curve was 0.57, falling way short of the 0.7 efficacy mark for the area under the curve. Here's how the authors described this AUC difference. Quote This racial difference in area under the curve for this diagnostic strategy reflects this inherent health inequity with a fair performance of AUC of 0.73 for white women compared with the very poor discriminatory performance of AUC of 0.57 for black women. This implies that TV ultrasound does not meaningfully predict the. The risk of endometrial cancer for black women. Alright, so what? Why did African Americans not do so well with this? Well, you have to remember that there's two main factors here. One is that there's distortion of the endometrial cavity at a higher frequency in African-Americans because they have a higher frequency of fibroids, specifically submucosal fibroids, that makes that visibility of that endometrial stripe difficult to have. And then the second thing was that African-American women, remember, have a higher chance of having non-endometrioid cancers that are focal, not global. So they could technically still have endometrial pathology in there in a focal lesion, but the endometrial thickness is overall still under 4 millimeters, And you're going to want to remember these results. Overall, for both black and white women, when the authors decrease the endometrial thickness threshold of when you would get a biopsy, down from 5 millimeters down to a minimum of 3 millimeters, of course, sensitivity increased to detect endometrial cancer cases, and the negative predictive value decreased. I mean, that makes sense, right? If you make the endometrial thickness 3 millimeters, well, boy, you're going to increase sensitivity, and your negative predictive value will also decrease. And you're going to want to remember this as well. Even though the direction of this association in performance was the same for both black and white women, the magnitude of that change differed between the groups. In other words, the 3 millimeter cutoff resulted in a sensitivity of 51% among black women, but it had a sensitivity of 89% at white women. So do you see the difference there? So yes, it definitely increased sensitivity in both groups, but not to the same degree. And the same can be held for negative predictive value. So, remember this statement. Based on all the different scenarios that the authors ran between 3 millimeters, 4 millimeters, or even 5 millimeters, and the sensitivity of that endometrial stripe to predict endometrial cancer, quote, there was none in which transvaginal ultrasound endometrial thickness strategy performed equally as well among black women as it did among white women, end quote. And here's something else you may want to remember. In this simulated cohort, over four times more cases among black women with endometrial cancer would be missed compared with those in white women based on the current guideline-recommended cutoff of 4 millimeters for biopsy. Now, let me play devil's advocate here for just a moment. So when I was reading this article, something was bothering me, and I'm going to explain that here because the authors actually, thankfully, did address that. All right, so I'm reading this. I'm like, okay, simulated cohort. They assume a certain amount of African-American women have fibroids. Check. That's accurate. Uh, They're assuming a certain amount of those fibroids will distort the endometrial cavity. All right. Check. That's adequate. That's correct. But then I thought, well, wait a minute. Surely, if in real world practice, if you can not get an endometrial stripe, I mean, physicians are going to follow ACOG guidelines and they're going to go, look, I can't figure out what the stripe is. I'm going to go straight to either endometrial biopsy or DNC. I mean, that's what ACOG says to do. So where does that fit in? Well, these authors do in fact address that. The authors state, quote, It's unknown with what fidelity this follow-up of direct endometrial biopsy or DNC actually occurs, especially in the setting where transvaginal ultrasounds can find fibroids, which is another common cause of abnormal vaginal bleeding, End quote. Yeah, I'm glad they put that in there, because I was thinking about that again as I was reading this. Wouldn't they just go straight to biopsy? And the truth is, in human nature, we go, ah, oh, look, you've got fibroids. That can make you bleed. Therefore, I'm going to stop. But it's a good reminder that an ultrasound is just that. It's an ultrasound. They're images and is no substitution for microscopic examination, histological examination of that lining to make sure nothing is being missed. Now that we're at the end of the episode, let me leave you with two main limitations, big limitations of this simulated cohort published in JAMA Oncology. And then I'm going to leave you with the author's final take-home message, all right? Well, the first limitation of this is that while this is an incredibly helpful article, it gives us great clinical insight, it only took a look at African-American women compared to Caucasian. I'm part Hispanic. Hello. What about the Hispanic women? Uh, So we can't really generalize any of this. We don't know how ultrasound works uh, if it has that same precision as in Caucasian women without fibroids uh, in Hispanic women. So that's one of the limitations. This only looked at African-American women compared to Caucasian women. And the second thing, of course, is that it only used the traditional histologies, the traditional endometrial cancers, which are type 1 endometroid and type 2 non-endometroid. It really didn't focus on any of the other variants or other weird types of endometrial pathologies. There is a definite difference in endometrial cancer mortality in African-American women compared to white women. The two largest known factors in this racial disparity in endometrial cancer are stage at diagnosis and histological type. The authors end their conclusions with this powerful statement. In this study, the results suggest that the current options of transvaginal ultrasound to determine the appropriateness of endometrial biopsy is neither sufficiently accurate nor racially equitable. There is growing evidence from this simulated study and others that this approach does not meaningfully stratify by risk. End quote. So here's the option. Now that we're at the end of the episode, I mean, so what do we do with this information? Are we not supposed to get transvaginal ultrasounds for postmenopausal bleeding in African-American women? No, 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 that's not the message. Definitely still get ultrasound, because ultrasound can help evaluate for structural masses of the uterus and ovarian pathology. No, the take-home message is not not to do it. It's to still do it, but not to rest fully assured just because that endometrial stripe may be under four millimeters, especially with Without fibroids, if there are fibroids that distort the cavity, you're supposed to move on to direct tissue sample because you can't get a good read. And even without fibroids, if that endometrial thickness is under 4 millimeters, Don't forget that African-American women do present with a higher rate of non-endometrioid endometrial cancers that could be focal rather than global. So at the other extreme, we don't want to seem to be punishing African-American women by only doing biopsies in those postmenopausal women, but not in Caucasians. Because that's not racially fair or equitable either. No, no, no. Is that to treat everyone the same. Now, let me give you my personal perspective. And because I'm very conservative and I don't want to miss anything, if you are over the age of 50 and have weird bleeding that's postmenopausal, you're going to get an ultrasound, you're going to get a search for infections, and you're going to get an EMB right off the bat. It's not one or the other. It's not best of two or best of three. It's not a choose like a buffet. It's all of them. Of course, a patient can opt out, but I offer all of them, and that may be excessive. I just don't want to miss anything, because as this article reminded us, sonograms are just that. They're just images, and to me, I want to make sure that I'm not missing infectious causes, true endometrial pathology, or other structural images, and that's where the ultrasound comes in, and just my perspective, but the big take-home is don't rest assured based on an endometrial stripe of under 4 millimeters, especially in African-American women. All right, podcast family, we have reviewed an article that was really well done. No, it wasn't in actual patients. They were simulated cohorts. But I think the authors did a very nice, strong job of making this as real world as possible. And it just it's hurtful to think that, man, for a long time, we've been treating everyone the same with a four millimeter cutoff and being cleared, not going to any more uh, tissue histology evaluation because that four millimeter cutoff was not met when we now know that that isn't applicable to everyone. But this is why medicine evolves. And This is why we always need to be learning because we can't treat people the same way, doing the same old thing and expect good results. As always, we're thankful for you and we're glad that you were part of our podcast community. And we we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.